You are now listening to Glowing Older, the podcast that goes deep with the experts shaping senior living. Brought to you by Connected Living, the leading senior living communication platform, offering user-friendly mobile apps, smart home tech, digital signage, and Timmy robots, and Link Home Therapy, the leading provider of physical, occupational, and speech therapy in senior living, delivering turnkey person-centered services to increase census and resident satisfaction. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on innovation in senior living and aging well. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm pleased to be here today with Lori Orlove, Principal Analyst at Aging and Health Technology Watch. Welcome to the program, Lori. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. Um, Before we dig in, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became the go-to analyst for technology for aging well and um, for older adults and healthcare and a wide range of different topics? Well, so I started out um, for many years, I was in IT. I ran IT organizations. And then I became an industry analyst at Forrester Research in which I tracked the market of technologies in general as well as uh, the um, needs of chief information officers and other IT executives. And when I left that, I got certified in geriatric care management um, and um, at the University of Florida, trying to figure out what I was gonna do with my life. And um, as part of that, I began to do a bibliography of the writings about technology for older adults. And I realized how little there was out there. And this was in 2008. And uh, so I said, well, I know how to be an analyst. So I think what I'll do is become an analyst for this market. And I published a market overview in 2009, uh, took on my first paying client, gave my first speech, and I was off and running. Wow, you um, were so ahead of your time with that. Yes, Um, true. (laughs) In our last conversation, you said technologies for senior living and aging in place are essentially the same, yet deployed differently. And then you split um, the different types of technologies into three primary types, connection, health, and safety. So I'm going to start with asking you about uh, connection because it's such a huge buzzword in senior living. This became a nightmare during COVID um, with all these people being isolated from their family members and in fact, even from each other. And so there was a, an explosion of thinking about what to do. I mean, the sad thing you'd see in some senior living companies, this was actually much written about at the time, is people running around the building with an iPad so families could talk to their aging relatives. Uh, that was joke number one. Uh, then there was registration for the COVID vaccines. <clears throat> that turned out to be joke number two. If you didn't have access to the internet, uh, you could not sign up to get one. And so we've moved on to the stage of trying to rectify all of that. And the senior living industry, um, which was way late in getting adequate Wi-Fi throughout the building, uh, all of their buildings, is now, I think, trying to catch up. So that is progressing. That's the good news. But this is a this has been an issue and needs to be fully overcome. I mean, we we see greater adoption of smartphones by older adults. Um, we've seen um, growing interest in voice technologies, which I can talk a little bit more about further on. <clears throat> and in general, we see that there's an opportunity to essentially tech enable um, older adults in whatever it is they need, whether it's services, whether it's access to healthcare, remote healthcare or whether it's access to engagement through whatever tools 
um, are most appealing with their family members. I, I would say the FaceTime call, uh, certainly in my family, has become uh, the way the way to communicate with grandchildren. And so I'd say uh, we we want to connect. Everybody wants to connect. The kids want their their children to connect with the grandparents, and we will find a way. And so that's I think what's happened now. Yeah, it seems like the senior living industry is trying to play catch up with the the broadband and before they can put all these other things in place, they they have to put that in place. So it's a big uh, it's a big bottleneck to progress, isn't it? It is. And uh, the ones that actually were slow to get going <clears throat> were really caught short during this period. I, I'm, I'm quite convinced that no matter how little progress they had made up to that point, I'm sure they've all picked up the pace. I have no good survey on that. Um, that I'm aware of, but I believe if the next time it is surveyed, broadband will be everywhere. It'll be decent broadband. It can't be crummy broadband. So it has to be decent broadband so people can communicate with the people they need to communicate with, whether they're in the building or not. Yeah. And as we both know, the the industry has been challenged with occupancy. So attracting prospects, it's it's probably an absolute no-brainer. It must be one of the first questions to come up, I would imagine. I think so. Yes. And I think the senior living industry will rebound. We have to get past this current um, hysteria, I guess I would say, that keeps people saying, gee, I think I want my mother to stay home where she doesn't have anyone to socialize with during the day except a home care worker and uh, and uh, no activities to go to, no way to, to engage her mind or uh, keep her motivated. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Let's do that. Um, so I think senior living will come back as a desirable opportunity for older people to engage with other people um, as part of their daily life uh, for those who can afford it. I mean, that's, you know, we can't just um, loosely assume that all people can afford it. It's, it's not affordable. But on the other hand, 24 by 7 home care isn't affordable either. And so right. um, the question is, what is, you know, what is the right thing for an aging relative? I, I believe senior living will come back. I I have to agree with that, and you know, hopefully they'll they'll get a clue as to how to better present themselves that they are places where you can create community and lifelong learning and purpose. I mean, there are places doing that. But um, to segue into the health technology side of it, I'm sure there's a huge range um, from wellness through medicine for tracking behavioral change, diagnosis. So let's talk about that sector. Tell us tell us some information on that. Well, one of the big changes that uh, COVID precipitated was um, the desire to have a telehealth session with a, a practitioner and uh, the desire because people did not want to go to the doctors. The doctor didn't want them to come in. Even now, <clears throat> I see that there still seems to be some reluctance um, in the case of some older people and in the case of some practitioners to have everybody come into the office. And the processes to come into the office are, are depending on which part of the country you live in, the processes to come into the office can be pretty onerous. So that leaves, um, that leaves telehealth and uh, remote um, health consultation. And uh, I know during COVID, uh, mental health consultation boomed uh, as a way of uh, getting um, access to a practitioner. And I think this is still gonna be one of the options. All practitioners are going to have to offer a telehealth option. It's not going to be feasible to just say, no, you come here or we don't have a relationship at all. Um, and so I believe uh, you'll see this hybrid set of offerings, depending on the condition of the a patient and um, the distance to travel for a visit. Imagine, for example, you have 
you have a visit on a certain day and, and the doctor says, well, let's do a checkup visit in three weeks or four weeks. Well, it depends on how far away you live from the doctor's office as to whether that makes any sense at all. You may need uh, to have transportation for that. It depends on what your problem was and what needs to be examined. <clears throat> and if it can be done through remote, remote access, it should be done. Other so, aspects of that include medi managing medications. And you know, there's another program called Hospital of Home, which also uh, boomed during the time of COVID, in which you essentially get all of the features that you might have had in a hospital room brought into your house. So that's all happened. Yeah, but again, that's a, that's a not not for the middle income people, right? <laughs> well, Hospital of Home is a little bit different. I think that is an insurance reimbursed capability, at least some portion of it. I mean, you know, if the hospital doesn't want you in the building and you don't want to be in the building, that doesn't mean your insurance providers don't want you to get any care. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I, I don't know the details of reimbursement on that, though. From the health technology standpoint, integrating with, say, a, a relationship management software and such uh, through API, do you find there's problems with HIPAA and you find technology companies coming in with health solutions and then finding it's difficult to deploy? Well, that's definitely true. Um, you know, HIPAA compliant solutions are what healthcare facilities, doctors practices, what they want to be deployed because... Um, you know, and that's what they want. And the providers of new technologies um, need to go through a process to become HIPAA compliant. But I guess I would say if um, Apple could do it in eight weeks or whatever it is they did with their initial launch of their health application, I, I'd say it's definitely doable. Uh, you know, gotcha. it's just a question of motivation and uh, getting it done. And understanding the market, which we'll get into <laughs> in a little bit, but yeah. um, let's uh, let's get to the last part of the holy trinity of um, age technologies, and that's safety. Um, I'm assuming that includes monitoring, detection devices um, to keep people safe in their homes, where, wherever their homes may be. Can you talk about some of these cool innovations? Uh, one of the big ones that has been around but has now been reincarnated in another bunch of forms is fall detection. So not only can you wear a device on your body that could detect whether you fell and notify someone appropriately, but we're increasingly going to be in a stage where the room can know that you fell. Um, whether it's through radar or other kinds of sensing, um, you know, that you pass by, um, a variety of methodologies are available. And so knowing which room you're in, whether you've fallen, whether you've entered a room and not come out, all of these kinds of monitoring capabilities do exist today and are being uh, evaluated and or deployed in some senior living communities. Um, it makes a lot of sense. There's no reason why, for example, a worker who's at a front desk in a senior living community needs to race down a long haul to know what's going on with Mrs. Smith. Technology should notify that person and, if appropriate, um, indicate that it's an emergency and identify uh, whether emergency services should be called. Right. So, and of course, fall detection is is huge for senior living facilities and in general for um, the, co the cost of falling is huge, right? Right, right. I mean between uh, hip replacement and hip repair and uh, all the other, no, nobody wants to have anybody enter a hospital due to a fall and I, I, a fairly high percentage, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but a, a big percentage of older adults fall every year. The question is, is one of those falls gonna get them in the hospital? Right, uh, yes. Um, Sherry Rose from Thrive Center was, uh, gave the quote for the 50 billion dollars it costs um, in non-fatal falls, but she said that 
that there's so many more that aren't even reported because people are afraid that they'll have to change their care situation or leave their home or whatever that may be. So it, it's, uh, I can understand that. And she also mentioned a smart toilet that could d- determine if someone had a UTI, which is really cool. Very cool. That's been around for a long time. Uh, came from Japan, was the original, you know, the question is whether you or I would like to have a smart toilet as a way to find out whether <laughs> we have a UTI. Isn't there another way to tell uh, besides having a smart toilet? I mean, that seems like, I don't want to call that the tail end of the process, but if you have a UTI, you have other symptoms yeah. uh, that uh, are outside of the toilet itself. You know, frequency with which you go, pain while urinating, blah, 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 all those other characteristics. So I'm not impressed with smart toilets. I'm impressed that someone's invented them, but I don't believe it. I do not believe outside of Japan that they're going to be widely deployed. That's funny because I don't really want my toilet talking back to me in the morning. I can tell you that. No, it's not. Gonna, yeah, no, thanks. I don't want my mirror talking back. I don't want any parts of my house talking back that I haven't invoked intentionally. <laughs> uh, well, that, you know, that goes uh, under the category of things that that are a fad versus a, a long term trend. And it seems like one of the things that is definitely a long-term trend is voice technologies. And I know you're really hot on them as well as some of my other glowing older guests. So um, can you talk specifically about voice and where we're going? Well, I think it's most important to understand where we've been. Until uh, 2017 and 2018, the only way to really interact with the technology was was to type, swipe, pinch, or zoom. And... uh, For people who had any form of tremor in their hands or a lack of dexterity or um, other physical limitations that made it difficult to do that, um, they were, you know, that they would be physically challenged to interact with technology. The introduction of voice technology enabled us to use the thing we use the most, which is our voice. And uh, it started out, it wasn't all that smart initially, but it's getting smarter and smarter. And now um, the main thing to understand about it is it's a methodology for communication. It isn't the communication itself. So we have a way of interacting with voice to do a wide variety of capabilities, whether it's ask uh, health-related questions, play music, um, uh, understand a recipe, communicate with family members. There's just so much we can do by speaking and, uh, and speaking in a standard English or whatever language the voice interface is supporting in the particular situation it's in, uh, we can speak in a language and be understood, and especially medical terminology. That actually turned out to be one of the crazy innovations that actually made money in the initial years of voice, which is uh, the ability to dictate. And uh, medical dictation now is, um, has all of the terms that the doctor would ever have put into the chart they all exist. And so um, you do not have to have the doctor waiting to the end of the day to dictate all their charts. If you ever see that happening where doctors are not speaking into some technology that can automatically transcribe, you can assume that the institution you're in is not as sophisticated as it ought to be. So get up and leave. <laughs> get up and leave. Yeah. If, if that's a problem with them in terms of voice interface, <laughs> what other problems do they have? <laughs> yeah, no, true. So it's been a real game changer. It's a game changer. And most particularly a game changer for older adults. Um, I think some of the things that have been said about it, you know, this privacy hang up about it, uh, which I think is, I I don't mean to be negative about that concern. People should be concerned about uh, personal privacy and data privacy. 
Um, but the idea of something always listening, which by the way, you can always tap the microphone off and then stop listening, but uh, something always listening and potentially misunderstanding you, I, I might add, um, is no worse than uh, Google reading all of your Gmail. So your, right. your, your, your mail messages have been read word for word ever since there was Gmail. And wow. what they do with that is they identify your interests, and that is used to identify marketers that wish to reach you, which is worse. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the, uh, people are fearful of the always listening idea because it seems creepy. But um, I, I always think that, you know, we already gave it all up in terms of privacy when we started using email. Oh, yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, so uh, one of, in our last conversation, you really had me laughing out loud with your, I developed this technology because my grandmother fell down story. Um, yep. So I would love it if you could give some advice to technology startups out there that want to enter the age tech space, in particular, mm -hmm. senior living or home health care. So I think there's a big opportunity for innovation. Uh, uh, innovative technologies, uh, particularly in home care, more in home care than in senior living, since I think senior living has already got the, got the uh, they're motivated now. Uh, home care, not so much. Uh, home care industry has not been transformed. And I'm talking about the companion care type home care. Home health care is a different thing. That's often prescribed by doctors. But, mm -hmm. but home care, companion care, whatever you want to call it, is um, not prescribed by a doctor and uh, is non-medical. And uh, the technology use in that is limited. Um, and I would say needs, needs a real, um, needs to be more what I would call uh, tech-enabled moving forward. Now, the, my grandmother fall, fell down thing, um, I have had over the years, I've, this is my 12th year in this space, and I've had a number of young entrepreneurs, inventors, who had great success with other inventions, uh, start out their story with me about their product by saying, my grandmother fell down and no one found her for X number of hours. And I want to make sure that that is, uh, doesn't happen to other people and their grandmothers. Usually when that happens, I ask them, so what market research did you do about fall detection? Do you understand anything about that market? Do you know about the personal emergency response pendant market, which is uh, you know more than a billion dollars? What do you know about that market? No, I, I didn't do any market research about that. Okay, well, when you've done some market research um, and you understand who the competitors are in this space and what they do, give me a call. We'll talk again. Um, so that's do you hear, do you hear back? Uh, sometimes <laughs> I hear back. Sometimes people contact me and they say, oops, I never did really do all that market research. Usually these are really young people uh -huh. uh, and they're really motivated. Um, they're very excited because they, they're inventors. Engineers and inventors often think that because they've invented, um, <clears throat> that that, does, that means that nobody else has invented the same thing. And so uh, it's pretty important. I think this is probably less the case now because um, it's pretty easy to figure out who does what if you actually do a little bit of searching. But like I said, over the past number of years, I've had that conversation more than once. Yeah. Well, you're certainly not the first person that's brought that up. So, I mean, and sometimes they're, they're great, like Papa or Upside Home or, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of good stories out there from, from solutions for grandmas and grandpas out there. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of good solutions. Um, and sometimes they're, they're, they're not necessarily understood as to how they'll be applied. Um, there's yeah. one, um, 
I've forgotten the name of the company in California, but they created a technology that was a continuous um, uh, video, Cre uh, created a video of Mrs. Smith in her unit in her nursing home. And uh, so Mrs. Smith would be found on the, uh, on the, oh, it's called Safely You, that was the name. Anyway, Mrs. Smith is on the floor. Staff comes in and finds Mrs. Smith on the floor. And taking a look at the video, it turns out Mrs. Smith climbed on the on the um, on the window ledge in order to straighten out the blinds. But if you didn't see that video, you would have not known any reason for why she would be on the floor. And you might think she had some kind of health condition that caused her to collapse or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so you could you could work on some process that would prevent Mrs. Smith from wanting to climb on the window ledge. Gotcha. Um, and. Simple idea, just a little bit of video, and they delete the videos. You know, if there's no useful information in the videos, they're gone. But that little bit of video, uh, I thought was pretty clever. Yeah. So um, there are solutions that work, and and ones that that are not going to hit it, obviously. So you know, I always end up finishing the podcast with what gets you most excited. But I have a question before that for you, and that's what what gets you appalled. What are some of the cautionary tales about technology? Because you you know more than most people, and I know you're not you're not exactly thrilled about everything. Well, I tell you, I'm I've spent the past three weeks or so being completely appalled by Facebook, the, the company, and uh, so I, I, I've written about it. Other people have written about it. Um, I, you know, I think it's it, it's pathetic, really, that this is what we've come to. In the only way we can communicate with our family members is this through this technology provided by a company with no common sense. To me, that, to me, so if you wanna know what gets me appalled, Facebook and its companies get me appalled. And I, I love to read about other companies doing similar things and doing it less invasively and better. Um, and I'm, I'm, I have a dream that uh, we will, Facebook will be broken up, that uh, this nightmare of their mismanagement by this idiotic executive will end and, uh, and uh, life will be better. <laughs> oh, you may not want to use that because all your listeners are Facebook users, but, uh, you know, Facebook is a cop out for, for people who want to share photos. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, so what are some of the options that you would recommend? Uh, there's lots of photo sharing sites. Uh -huh. Um, uh, I would say I'm not going to recommend a photo sharing site, but if you want uh -huh. to find photo sharing sites, you know that there's ways to share photos. You know you can place photos in albums. You can right. send links to people. You can uh, send uh, videos to people. There's an alternative to YouTube, which is owned by Google. You could use Vimeo as another means for, for looking at videos. Um, I would say try to find a way that doesn't seem so devoted to a big tech company that has potentially questionable values. Um, it's, it's not that hard to do if you actually focus on it and think about it. And uh, well, your um, phrase from last time, you are the product. You are the product. I don't like being the product. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got off Facebook a while ago, but, and I'm still on Twitter, which is unfortunate, but you know, when you have a blog, you gotta go, you gotta put it somewhere. <laughs> so. yeah. I hear you <laughs> on that. So, okay. Well, what gets you most excited these days, Lori? Well, I think we have just begun to scratch the surface on wearables. So what gets me very excited is what a wearable can do in our future. Hasn't done it yet, 
uh, but it will. And there are people, I wrote a report called The Future of Wearables. And one of the companies I interviewed in this was one in which a wearable could detect this oncoming symptoms of a stroke before you had the stroke. Um, and the whole reason for that is for some people who have had strokes and recovered, they're at risk of a second stroke. So that one I thought was very interesting. That's an example of a great use of a wearable. Another one was an example of a wearable that was tracking uh, steps and length of stride and noted that a person with Parkinson's whose stride changes or gait changes may in fact be need, in need of a rethink of their medication in between doctor's visits. Wow. And so those are two examples of when something is on your body, it has such potential for informing not just you, your family members, and if your medical practitioners were willing to accommodate the data, which today they're really not, but if they were willing to accommodate the data that you were able to collect from your wearables, that is very exciting to me. Almost as exciting as voice. And that will happen. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You you heard it here, folks. It will happen. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh gosh. Well, you are just such a wealth of information. And I thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I appreciate the time. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. 